So before I preach this morning, I just want to celebrate the good news about the alternative gift market. Uh, $30,000 was raised to send out to our mission partners uh, really throughout the world. What a great, uh, great thing to celebrate. I want to thank Judy Wright and um, Selma Chin for their work on that, as well as with the whole mission action team. You know, combine the 30,000 from the alternative gift market with the 20,000 that we sent to the Hispanic church in East Oakland and uh, $50,000 was raised during Advent for a mission. And that is great news for our church. So I really wanna celebrate that. And that ties very much into what I'm gonna talk about this morning as we continue this series called The Church Unleashed. And in this series, what we're doing is exploring the uh, vision, the mission that God has given the church. You've probably seen by now the graphic that we've, that Michael uh, Barber put together to uh, go along with this sermon series. It's a beautiful graphic of horses running. You may ask, why did we pick that graphic? Well, it's a great picture, I think, of the church being unleashed to be the church uh, out in the world. I look at this graphic and I think, wow, and I ask you, what words come to your mind as you look at these horses and how they might relate to the church? Well, let me throw some out there that I, I think work. First of all, this, this picture, this graphic, it evokes power, doesn't it? I mean, horses are powerful animals and these horses running together in the same direction uh, is a great picture of unleashed power. It also gives a picture of unity. They're all running in the same direction. Movement is definitely here. Uh, this picture would be very different if it was a bunch of these beautiful Mustangs uh, sitting in a corral, but instead they're out running and moving, there's momentum, definitely this sense of going somewhere, of going forward. Also, and I love this, this is an image of freedom. They're not in a corral, they're out running and running as far as they want to go. And of course, there's joy. This is maybe my favorite. These horses are doing what they were meant to do. They're not meant to be stuck in a corral, but they're meant to run and uh, to run in an open field. And along with that, you can get the sense that they're having a good time. I think these are all pictures of the church and what the church should really be, God's vision for the, place, for the church. So we're going to explore all these things and look at the, God's vision for the church and it is laid out in scripture in many places, but maybe nowhere is, is, is it laid out most clearly as it is in Matthew 28, right at the end of Matthew's gospel. I'm going to read this passage to you. These are the last recorded words of Jesus. He has finished his earthly ministry. He's been crucified and resurrected. And after his resurrection, he did appear to the disciples on numerous occasions. And then he asked them to gather on a hillside so he can give them his final instructions. And here they are. Now remember, these 
are a group of very ordinary people. And Jesus looks at them and he commissions them. He gives them their marching orders. And he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the, ven- to the end, very end of the age. Wow. Pretty audacious statement, wouldn't you say? I mean, think of it. Here is this man who was born to peasant parents, became a carpenter, never held a public office, became an itinerant preacher, died a criminal's death, and had the nerve to say to this group of people, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, now I am passing on that same power, that same authority to you. I am putting you in charge of this disciple-making business. You continue the ministry that you have observed me doing for these last three years. And here's my strategy. You go now, you ordinary people, you fishermen, you ex-tax collectors, ex-prostitutes, former political zealots, small business owners, construction workers, lawyers, nurses, doctors, teachers, students, you. You go out into the world and let others know what I have done in your life. Love them the way I have loved you. Serve them the way I have served you. Get down on your knees and wash the feet of the world. Invite them, welcome them into this new way of life, this life with God in which all is forgiven and everything is possible. Teach them all that I have taught you and form a community of faith where everybody is welcome, everybody is valued, where people can be real, where lives are changed, where healing occurs, where hope is given, and all feel cherished. Baptize them and train them and teach them and grow them up one by one. And then he gives this great promise that is so good. And you can count on this. I will be with you always. You do not go alone. Empowered by the presence of Christ. Wow. And here's what is really amazing. (laughs) This ragtag group of folks went out and they did exactly this. They turned the world upside down. This is God's vision for the church. God's vision for the the healing, the redemption of the world, for, for spreading life and light. And it's been happening for over 2,000 years. Christ 
gives us the same commission today. And this is why we exist as a church. Now that our 2009 vision statement, which is still the vision statement we hold today, is written right from this verse. Here it is. Our purpose, welcoming and nurturing disciples to serve. It's a great vision statement. It's what God has commissioned us to do, to make disciples. Another way of saying this, and this is the way I like to say it, is our business is changing lives. We exist as a church to help people discover the amazing love of God, to enter into a life-changing relationship with God, this abundant life that Jesus talked about when he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundant, this life that will transform them and heal them and actually conform them to the very image of Jesus Christ. We are to spread grace and mercy and peace and love in the world. And everything we do as a church, everything we do should go back to this purpose. It's a great mission. It's a great purpose. God's plan to redeem the world. Now, to accomplish this mission as a church, to do what Christ has commanded us to do, uh, we must do many things and be many things. And that is what we're going to look at during this sermon series. We will explore the characteristics of a church that is fulfilling this mission, this commission that Christ gave us, an unleashed church. And today's message is really pretty simple. It's, it's foundational. I want to talk about two important things that a church must do in order to fulfill God's purpose in order to be the church and accomplish its mission. Here it is. And I want you to remember this. To fulfill this mission, we must do two things. We must, must be internally strong and externally focused. Internally strong and externally fo focused. To fulfill the mission that God has given us, we, we must do these two things. Now, what do I mean by uh, inwardly strong? What I mean is that we must have strong, vibrant, healthy ministries within the walls of this church, primarily. We need to have ministries that serve our members, that, that build them up. Now, what are these ministries? Well, I think you could probably name them. We must have worship services that are dynamic, where people can express their love for God, where people are inspired to then go and live the Christian life throughout the week. We must hear the word of God, create a place where people can gather and love each other in God, a place where people can hear the truth about themselves and about God and about life every week. This is the heart of our church. Is worship. So we must have worship. We must also have what we call maybe Christian education or, or spiritual formation. 
And this is what Christ told us to do, to teach all that he has commanded us. We must have ministries where people can experience transformational teaching and learn how to study the Bible and how to pray and all the other essential skills it takes to grow as a disciple, where people can, can read the Bible and understand what God's word is to us. And this must be from, from uh, you know, nursery school all the way through to adults. We must have this Christian education. We must have community. We must cr- create community, provide a place where people can come and share life with each other, walk through all the ups and downs of life with one another, supporting each other. This fellowship that we've talked about before, this this koinonia, a place where people can make 2 a.m. friends. People who walk the journey of Christ with each other. We also have to have ministries that equip people for ministry because the church obviously isn't just the pastor's or the staff, the church is all of us. It's everyone ministering to each other, using their gifts to build up the church. So we must have a way to help people discover their gifts and then, and then launch them into ministries where they use those gifts. We also have to have pastoral care where we care for one another when we're going through a hard time. Here's what's really important to me. You know, one of the things I've seen in churches is, is this. People give of themselves to a church for years and years and years, and then they come to the later stages of life, and sometimes they feel forgotten by the church. Boy, we must love all those people who have given so much that they would never feel forgotten by the church. And then finally, we must be inwardly strong in this way. We have to be a well-run organization. We have to have policies. We have to have uh, things in place that help grease the wheels of ministry, things like finance and personnel and all the other kind of administrative arms of the church. We have to have those things, and they have to be run well. For us to fulfill God's mission, to be the church, we have to do all these things, we must be internally strong. And I'll tell you something, there are a number of churches that are really good at these things. But here's the danger that ensnares so many churches when they do all these things and they're doing them well, they get focused on themselves and on their needs and they get so focused on being internally strong that they forget that Jesus said, now go, be salt and light out there. They get so focused on what happens within the walls of the church that they forget about the mission that Christ has given us outside the walls of the church. One way I like to think of this is is the church gathered and the church scattered. Many churches do a great job of gathering. The church gathered but they forget that the church goes out beyond these walls during the week. The church scattered. And the church can become like a fortress, like a religious club. And it can so easily become this little bubble, a comfortable place where members can come and escape the trouble of the world. And the pastor becomes a dispenser of religious services. 
He or she is the one that does the real ministry of the church, the professional, and the members are there to be served and become very consumer-oriented. And this is really what happened to the church in America. They forgot who they were. That the people are the church. It's kind of like a, a football game at Memorial Stadium. You know, the stadium stands are full, and they're watching as 22 guys play football on the field. That's not it. We're all down on the field, playing together, being the church. And members can be, forget that they are out there all during the week, being the church. It's not just what happens on Sundays. You are the church. Now hear me on this. What goes on here is so very important, but we have to remember externally focused. Jesus said, go out there. Make disciples of all the nations. Do the work of the church out in the world, being salt and light like we talked about last week. So in order to really fulfill God's vision for the church, we do have to be internally strong. And folks, I got to tell you, we got some work to do, to be internally strong. But we also have to very much be externally focused. I think there's one question every church has to ask, and it's so important. It's very simple. Who are we here for? Are we here just for the people that fill the pews on Sunday morning? I hope someday we're filling these pews again. Or are we people out, are we here for the people out there who do not yet know the love and the grace of God? Who are we here for? Boy, how we answer that question. Simple question. But how we answer it has profound ramifications for the church. It really influences everything, how we staff, how we budget, what are our priorities. Everything. And if we don't ask that question, we'll start focusing on ourselves and, and honestly begin fighting over stupid things. You know, I was once asked to be a consultant for a church in Sacramento. They had heard about our church and about the growth, the vitality of what was going on at our church. And so the pastor uh, invited me to come down to talk to the leadership of the church, which in the Presbyterian Church is, is, are the deacons and the elders and, and other leaders of the church. And so there we were in Fellowship Hall, and I was talking about uh, what was going on in our church and what I felt was, you know, what were some of the keys to our church growing and becoming vital. And we had a kind of a question and answer time, and, and a person raised their hand. And they said, let me ask you a question. Who makes the decisions in your church? And, you know, this is always a question. Who, who's leading the church? Is it the board? Is it the pastors? Is it a combination of both? And so we talked about that, and they said, but again, who makes the decisions? So I tried to explain that a little bit more, and they said, well, let me be really specific. Who would decide what color to paint the walls in Fellowship Hall? And there we were in Fellowship Hall. And I looked back on the wall uh, ahead of me, and there were all these kind of 
samples of paint colors, big, you know, samples of about four or five. And all of a sudden I realized, okay, this is the issue in the church that they're fighting over, is what color are we going to paint the walls of Fellowship Hall? And I tried to hold back, but I said, folks, if you're arguing and fighting over what color to paint the walls in Fellowship Hall, you are missing out. God has given us this big mission to care for the needs of the world. And you're arguing over paint colors. See, this is what happens when we become inwardly focused and we forget that we have to be externally focused, inwardly strong, externally focused. Like I said last week, the church exists for the sake of others. Now, this may be obvious, but to serve others, we must be outside the walls of the building. Do you see what this says? It says that so much of our ministry, so much of what we do as a church, is in fact, the, the majority of the ministry of the church is done out there and not here. Paradigm shift. Simple, but so important. It says that church is primarily what happens outside the walls of the building. It's what happens all during the week, out there. And this can happen in a number of ways. It can happen through organized missions, you know, volunteering to join with our mission partners like City Team and, and the Refugee Task Force and what they do out there and joining with Harbor House. It's what I talked about last week when I talked about adopting a school and being out there so we can do it in an organized way through programs of the church and we hope to increase those opportunities in the years to come. But here is what might even be more important. It happens through individuals. You, as you're living your daily life, all during the week. What's so interesting in this verse is when Jesus says, go. It's a pres present participle in the original Greek, and it, it really means as you are going, or as you go along the way. And so what that, that says is, is, as you're living your daily lives, you are the salt and of the of salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're, you're, you're fulfilling this mission that God has given us. We serve God and touch lives with the love of Christ when we're cleaning teeth or we're building houses or coaching football or practicing law or, or operating on someone in the surgery room. Whatever it is that we do in our neighborhoods, in our families, that's when the church really gets unleashed and becomes a powerful force. Let me ask you this. What if you saw yourself as, as Christ's representative all during the week? What if you really believed that God could use you 
in your daily lives, as you interact with neighbors and people at work or at school, what if all of us in Piedmont Community Church saw us this way? That we would take Christ's command seriously to be the people of God, the church scattered all during the week. You see, we're here at the church maybe an hour or two or three hours per week, but for all those other 167 or 165 hours of the week, who are we? Do we see ourselves as Christ's representative? That's when the church really becomes unleashed. It's when we realize and live out this identity. You know, I want to close with this story. You know, Gordon McDonald was a pastor and an author, and toward the end of his career, he, he pastored a church in New York City. He lived on Roosevelt Island, that little uh, finger of an island in the East River, and he would take uh, a bus that would go up and down the island to the tramway that would take him over the East River into Manhattan to go to work. And so he got to know these bus drivers, and, and many of them ended up being Christ followers. So he and his wife, Gail, would invite them over to breakfast sometimes, and, and they built camaraderie with them. And one time when they were having breakfast, one of the drivers said, you know, Gordon, you have such an interesting job. You travel a lot. You seem to know a lot of people. You always appear to be enjoying yourself in your job. And Gordon said, you know, I couldn't be happier. And then the bus driver said, well, your job is a lot better than ours. You help people. All we do is drive these dumb buses up and down the island all day. What a life. Gordon thought about that for a few seconds, and then he said, you know what, I have an idea for all of you. And they said, what's that? And he said, I believe that God will make any job interesting if we believe that God wants to use us. Now, here's what I suggest. Tomorrow morning, before anyone gets on your bus, as you begin your day of work, close the door and face all the empty seats and say loudly, in the name of Jesus, I declare that this bus is not just a bus, but it's a sanctuary for the next eight hours. And I declare that everyone who enters this sanctuary will experience the love of Christ through me. Whether they realize it or not, they will experience the love of Christ through me. The driver looked at him like he was kind of crazy um, and said, you know, New York buses as sanctuaries? And then someone said, you know, I could do that. I'll give it a try. And others followed. And so for the next few weeks, anytime Gail and Gordon entered, boarded one of those buses, they would ask, they would lean over and whisper to the driver, you driving a bus or a sanctuary today? And the answer usually came with a grin, a sanctuary, man. Today, this bus is a sanctuary. A few months later, one of the drivers met with Gordon, and they had a chance to talk, and he said, do you know that you've changed my life, he said. And how's that, Gordon said. He said, well, you know, this sanctuary stuff, I've been doing it, and it works. Each day I've been turning my bus into a sanctuary, 
and it's made all the difference in the way I do my job. Like the other day, a guy got on the bus and was so cranky and he was so mad because I wouldn't let him off at a stop that was illegal. And he cussed me out and uh, something awful. And you know, there was a day when I would have just cussed at him back and let him have it. But you don't do that in a sanctuary. So Gordon said, what happened? He said, I let him off at the next stop and said, I hope you have a good day, sir. Nice having you aboard. And a lady behind me said, Charlie, how can you be so nice to a jerk like that? He said, I just muttered to myself that it wasn't hard if you were driving a sanctuary instead of a bus. You know, Gordon told that story many times, and people came up to him all over the country. One man now flies sanctuaries instead of 747s for Delta Airlines. Another, a trauma surgeon operates in a sanctuary and not an operating room. Teachers are teaching in sanctuaries and not a classroom. Do you see the difference? You invite God into all that you're doing along the way in your salt, in your light. Friends, let me challenge you to do this and see the difference it makes in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for inviting us to join you in this mission to redeem the world, to bring love and mercy and grace in a world that so desperately needs it. Lord, thank you for this church, for all that you have done through it for for over 100 years now. And we ask that your spirit, your power would infuse this church, that we would step out in faith, that we would be like these horses, unleashed. That we would be a movement. God, help us to be your people out in the world, touching lives, helping others to discover the new life that we have in Christ. Bringing hope in love. God, by your grace, may we be faithful disciples. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.